So good evening everyone. Any question tonight? Yes. Um, um, when you spoke the other day, uh, you were speaking about um, the faulty messages we get from the mind and the senses that we can't trust our tools. And I was just wondering, within that context, what does self-trust mean, or to, yeah, to trust ourselves? Mm-hmm. What does it mean to trust yourself? Because we need to be self-directed to some degree. Mm-hmm. So what does self-trust mean? Mm-hmm. We can't trust mm-hmm. Well, that's part of self-trust. Not trusting in a false self is <laughs> the beginning of actually trusting in in a self. And of course, we have a theoretical um, understanding of the self that transcends the sense of self that we're preoccupied with um, a sense of self that's derived from uh, identification with sense objects, with a spirit to exploit them, to enjoy them. Um, this creates a sense of I. I, our desires, our wants, our um, ourselves, if you will, um, and so there is uh, our spiritual practice is about kind of deconstructing that um, ego, and there has to be someone in there to do the deconstructing. So, well, there's a false self. There's a hum. Ata, I am. I often say that I may think I'm this or I am that, and this and that may change, but in all of the identification with this or that of this world, what doesn't change is that I am. I may say I am this, now I'm that. I'm, I may be Indian, I may change and get a passport and become American. Hmm. I may change in so many ways, and now think I'm this and think, then think I'm that, but in all of that changing, the fact that I am doesn't change, that's consistent, that's constant, and that's a much bigger sense of I than what could be derived from thinking I am this or that, that I exist, I'm, I'm, and I am of a nature that um, is um, active, kartitva, that's uh, knowing, gnatvitva, that is um, experiential, bhoktitva, um, and of course, I, I exist in all circumstances, as I said, uh, and so forth and so on. Um, so we have that theoretical knowledge. Meanwhile, um, the so so the act of deconstructing the false ego involves using the very instruments that have created it to some extent or perpetuated it, let's say. The mind perpetuates it by identifying with the senses. It, 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 it makes a bond with, with the uh, um, senses to enjoy sense objects. It implicates the intellect in that as well, hmm? um, which renders intellect uh, something that um, is really unbecoming for the intellect to become a servant of the mind and the senses it doesn't do it much uh, dignity 
It's meant to be able to, for example, discriminate between uh, when the mind says, I like this, sense experience, for example, the intelligence should be able to say, yes, but it's not good for you, so we're not going to do that. But if it's simply um, wedded, if you will, to the mind, then it just facilitates, comes up with ways, discriminates, discerns how to indulge, so to speak, how to exploit. So there's a spiritualization of the intellect. That's very much what the Bhagavad Gita is about. And as I'm speaking about, so to get the theoretical knowledge uh, that that there's the self that I... um, identify as is not my real self and so forth and then through that spiritual intelligence I start to deconstruct it which is what our spiritual practice is about by way of withdrawing the senses from for example the exploitation of sense objects for my sense of self by way of employing sense objects for the service of Krishna I see a beautiful uh, flower, um, and you know the materialistic person will think to enjoy it for themselves. The Buddhist will think it is. It is, and not, and not what doesn't have a desire to pick it either. It is something like that. <laughs> and then, the, but the devotee will just to use a simple example. Think I could bring that to Krishna, hmm. and it will become more beautiful. Hmm. As we beautify Krishna, then we become more beautiful. The, the things that we beautify him with become more beautiful. So, so this is a you, uh, the mind is something that can be used. It's central in yoga. It can be used for as a tool to uh, free us from a false identification or to implicate us in it. And so, uh, we use the intelligence then, fortified by scriptural knowledge, to. Um, engage the mind and thereby the senses and so forth. So um, so that's kind of a beginning of of trusting in the self by way of not trusting in the false self, trusting in in what the sacred texts have have told us and then trying to apply ourselves um, accordingly. That said, um, as we do so, we do get some, some standing in an identity as a devotee, as a servant of Krishna, right? It, it's a, it's something that is a work in progress. We have a sadaka deha, a practitioner's body, and it's a work in progress. So the idea is, is as it becomes gradually more and more engaged only in Krishna's service, then, of course, then an internal spiritual body will arise out of that engagement as well. So there's a spiritualizing of the material body and the mind. And we position ourselves in such a way that bhakti will flourish within us without offending her when she approaches us, for example, and then exercising our will to take advantage of the opportunity that she presents before us. When bhava arises, or when it, when it, um, we become infused with with bhava, then it takes over the mind. Hmm? 
And of course, if the mind is taken over by Baba, then the senses will be taken over, and then you have a spiritualized sadhaka deya. So, in all of this, how do you trust uh, your, yourself? You're asking, like, that I'm doing something, let's say, spiritually correct, maybe. Might be an example of you wonder how I trust myself. Should I, or not? Should I? Where should I? With an exercise of our spiritual, spiritualized intellect, um, would be: Should I hear over here? Should I hear over there? What association should I take advantage of? What associations might I avoid? For example, um, um, and so there is a, a real self, if you will, a Krishna conscious self, that's being uh, developed. And just in the context of our overall life as a sadhaka, and as much as it is, then that's the self and the sensibilities of that self that we come to trust in, and we will, it's learned, so to speak, both by experience and by theory and application of the theory. So at a certain point, obviously, we're, we're going to have a sense of self that makes the right um, uh, uh, let's say spiritually correct uh, uh, decisions and so forth, a spiritualized intellect. Um, now there, um, on another in another sense, we may doubt our own sincerity, like say something like that, uh, uh, without an example of what you mean by how do I trust myself. Um, let's just say some people, some devotees may doubt whether they're sincere or not, which is a, an evidence of their sincerity, obviously. <laughs> they may think, I'm not that sincere, and that, that may be right, <laughs> and that's okay, <laughs> and you got to start somewhere, you know, and, and, uh, and, um, um, and by bringing up that idea of sincerity, um, the Gita says, "Nahi dugatim very poetically um, rendered that verse. Sincerity is invincible. So there's a, if I'm trying my best to be thoroughly honest and sincere, and I'm using, because I'm doing that, more than my intelligence to determine what to do. In other words, I'm praying to Krishna, let's say, or before you know it's Krishna, you're reaching out beyond your own uh, instruments, tools, and saying, you know, I can't figure it out. Hmm? I need help. And and with all of my sincerity at my disposal, the honesty at my disposal, I apply myself and that will always be fruitful. Hmm? Hmm? The context of the verse in the Gita, Krishna has been told, uh, Krishna has told Arjuna that uh, about the path of yoga, and he thinks, you know, it's kind of difficult, and uh, he might not be successful, and so he has some reservations. It's in the sixth chapter of the Gita, and of course Krishna says, don't think like that. He's obviously talking about, in, a, in somewhat of a covert way there, about bhakti yoga. His whole dissertation on yoga, which begins in the middle of the second chapter, begins with Neha Bikramanashusti, 
Prachivayana Vidyate, Svalpamapya Siddharma Sitrayate, Mato Bhaya. This is Bhakti, Bhakti Yoga, because if it was Jnana Yoga or Karma Yoga, which are governed by Sattva or Karma, the results are not permanent. But the results of Bhakti Yoga are permanent, therefore it's Nirguna, and he's saying, this yoga I'm going to teach you about, ultimately, although I'm going to go through six chapters here and talk about different types of yoga, ultimately I'm talking about Bhakti. So it's then at the end of the sixth chapter, it's coming back to bhakti, and it ends, of course, on bhakti, right? In the last verse of the sixth chapter, Krishna says, bhakti is the best yoga. So when Krishna says to Arjuna, don't think like that, that, that it, because he says, tata. tata means like, oh dear one, oh my, oh, pal, son, you know, beloved, don't think like that. I won't, if you, uh, the one who, the Gita says that one who, um, hmm, we don't have the verse here, but so anyway, sincerity is invincible. One who endeavors honestly, sincerely with their heart, they, that, that can't go in vain. Hmm? So, um, in this context, when you sincerely try to do the right thing, Hmm? Even your knowledge is not complete. Even your deconstruction of the false self is not complete, and so forth. If you're thoroughly honest to the best of your ability, so to speak, and sincere, um, it must be a Latin word for sincere. We'd like to know what that is, but um, and then we take it back to the to the Sanskrit. But th- then, then that's all you can do, right? Hmm? Um, and 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 the Gita says that that, that um, well, truth attack, attracts truth. So if you try to be thoroughly honest, Bhagavatam says it's for honest people. Satam is another word for 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 devotee. Hmm? Um, so we give our heart. We 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 try to be sincere. We're kind of at a disadvantage. It's all we can do, right? But this is the way to put oneself in a position that the um, Sarup Shakti will be inclined towards us. There she finds a receptacle in which she can pour herself that it's not going to have a hole in it and go out the, go out the bottom. Hmm? So more readily she may take advantage of that opportunity. Um, but yes, I mean, let's say, for example, Choosing a guru or something would make how could I need to trust in myself, but I can't trust in myself. I can't trust my own. So, using that example, I can't trust my feelings. That means, well, okay, I can go to the scriptures and I can get some advice and so forth. I get a good feeling, but I do trust my feelings also in that, right? Hmm? I feel like, but what I feel like, of course, is a different thing. The feelings that I get are different because I feel like that someone is speaking and it's speaking to me about things that are not that that I feel like that. Yeah, he said it better than I could, but I, I, I she did I identify with that. It's like speaking to me. Home going requires a home knowing person, and when that home knowing person speaks, it hits home. Hmm so to speak, in the heart. It resonates with me. It, it, it. 
So, so you know, in the context of bhakti and sadhu sangha, there's a real self that's 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 being addressed, really, um, and and coming out. Gradually, we can learn what it means to make spiritual decisions, to think spiritually, and so forth. And I think, other than that, we have our sincerity that gets us here in the first place, so to speak, right? And so we have to continue to rely on that in circumstances. Well, you know, let's say I'm in a situation and I'm not in the association of devotees and something comes up, I have to make a decision what to do. I have to trust in my my sincerity. It's all I have. I trust in my limited Krishna consciousness even hmm? and apply myself. And in what I'm saying in a kind of an overall sense is you can't be wrong if you do that, even if you're wrong. <laughs> Even if you make a wrong decision, your heart's in the right place. So Baba Grahitanarda, Krishna is like accepts the the spirit of that. And then in details maybe, well, you didn't do that quite right, but but the spirit of it was there, so it's it's accepted. So you can't, um, you know, Guru Mukha Padma Bhakya Chite Te Koriya Aikya. You have to do the Guru Sadhu and Shastra. You want to make the Guru's words. Uh, uh, one with your your heart. This is you know what we're working on, so to speak. Um, so you have to spiritualize yourself, and then you can trust in it. Hmm? That's really um, more or less the answer. Meanwhile, to the extent that we haven't spiritualized ourselves, we're being moved and making determinations by feelings, by emotions, and so forth. Um, that's why I say we should. We should kind of join a, a radical type of spiritual discipline, such as ours, that aims at making a comprehensive solution to all the problems based on spiritual reasoning, not just based on emotions. Hmm? You might I like those people. That might be a reason to get together with them, but then over time you might find out that what they're about is... is, is um, not something that you've been able to identify with with your intelligence and it, and it involves separating yourself from feelings that you're made up of and you don't want to give up. You thought that they, you were going to join the group and they were going to be fostered and so forth and instead you find that it's it's a you know it's a it's a heart surgery that's going on <laughs> here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, so that, that's why we have so many books and um, so much siksha and so forth, so that we can spiritualize our feelings and we can differentiate between them, our emotions, and spiritual intelligence, which should drive, if you will, in the Upanishadic example, the chariot of the body, right? Hmm? The reins are the driver, in the example. The chariot is the body. The horses are the five senses. And the soul is the passenger. Hmm. So needs to have control of, of, the, of the, the... I guess the reins are the, the mind, the drivers, the intelligence. Hmm. So you've got to have a driver. You got to have spiritual intelligence. You have to learn to trust in spiritual intelligence. Hmm? 
that buddhi, that spiritualized intelligence, is 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 doing the two things that you know it's it's deconstructing this false self and constructing the real self. That's why we say nishta, the stage of nishta, involves the spiritualized intelligence being fully active. Nasta praeshu abhadreshu nityam bhagavatam. You have to hear the bhagavatam regularly. The reasoning of it, Bhagavatam, is the commentary on the sutras of Vyas, which are the the, the kind of um, the nyaya, the logic of the of this of the Upanishads, hmm? putting all those sounds, Upanishadic sounds, in context and so forth. So it's it's really meant to give you a spiritual head, if you will, hmm? and and we should be we should develop one and be guided by by it. Hmm? Uh, we say. Give another example that as sadhakas we see through shastra, shastra chakshu. So the shastra becomes your your eyes. You get new eyes. So you don't trust in your your ordinary eyes, but you trust in the, in the scriptural eyes. And that, of course, requires understanding the scripture. And you know you might have spiritual eyes, but you still might need glasses too. So you understand the implications of them in different circumstances and time and and so forth. You read a verse and really like it, and then ten years later say, that's what it was saying. Oh, so much more than I thought. <laughs> and so forth. So, but, um, um, yeah, I think that uh, there's this, uh, um, there's a trusting in the spiritualized self that, is, that we're culturing, developing. And the more it becomes spiritualized, the more you can trust in it, and you can know, hmm, this means this. And you can say it, and nobody's ever said it before, but it's other people will repeat it because it, yeah. Um, so, uh, so um, and again, the beginning is some healthy distrust of my uh, of the 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 mandates, the uh, uh, the per- uh, perceptions, the the picture of life derived from. Solely from my mind and, 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 and senses, we're on a different course now. We, we've our, our course has changed. We've come under rather the rather than the influence of karma, we've come under the influence of bhakti. And so again, it, it deconstructs the karmic identity in the context of constructing a spiritual identity. And as it's constructed, it's reliable. It can be trusted, and so forth. Um, does that help? Yeah, so we have to, um, yeah, we have to... In the context of, you know, trying to create a life that's favorable, you know, so um, you also spoke about that, about accepting the favorable, rejecting the unfavorable. Yeah. And particularly when it comes to creating a life that's in support of bhakti, um, when you have to make decisions, you know, around those types of things. Yeah, well, we can always seek help with that too. You know, we can seek help, counsel, um, to 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 help um, kind of hammer out such details. But yeah, we need to create a favorable environment for our practice. We need to tolerate, but we need to create a favorable environment. So those things seem contradictory, just as a, a related point. But if we create a favorable environment for our practice, there'll be plenty of opportunities to tolerate within that. 
we don't need to create an unfavorable or stay in an unfavorable environment hmm? in the name of tolerating. We create a favorable environment and tolerate within the context of that. Um, um, but yeah, ultimately, um, um, we, we, uh, our sincerity is, is, is all we, we can rely upon. Hmm? Krishna is satyam, truth. If we be truthful, then as best we can be, then we should be all right. But um, but yes, it's important to uh, uh, to uh, create a favorable environment for our bhakti and get good association and so forth. So what else? Another question? Um, that was the main one. <laughs> just just in terms of knowing what's favorable, what's not. Because it, it, it seems, you know, in the path of bhakti, it's fairly... It's fairly, it's clearly, um, you know, if we read, it's quite clear what's favorable, what, what we should let go of, what we should accept. But there may be different... But whether it's yeah. like choosing what profession you should um, be in or who you should marry or things like that, it's, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's where sort of things get a bit tricky. Well, that's why it's good to have <laughs> company and, uh, you know, and, and with others and share your experience and so forth. Um, you know, if you you know the marriage is is a big one, and ninety, you know, nine percent of the people are going to get married, and it's going to be favorable to some extent, you know, for them, or they would not have fared well um, without it, probably, and uh, not that they fare that well with it necessarily either, but um, they could. <laughs> um, it has happened. But um, you know, it probably if you're if you're thinking whether I should get married or not, you probably should. Would be a bhakti vinod answer. You know, if if, if it's something not something you're thinking about, then then you're probably uh, you know past it, uh, so to speak. But um, but then you need to find the right person and so forth. And and uh, so I mean, you know, to use that example, the. In previous times, not only in India but in, in even in the Western culture, there were things that persons relied upon, other than their just their feelings, to make that determination. Even when I was younger, you know, it was of course things changed just as you know a person like myself started to become of age, because it was the 1960s. And but just prior to that, it wasn't a lot of you know just run off with a girl as much as you had to kind of like talk to her father, you know, <laughs> and uh, he'd check you out and see if you had a job or what, you know, or what, you know, kind of a thing, you know, there was some practical uh, insight and then in the Vedic Indian system, you have the astrology and they would look at uh, um, planetary alignments and you, 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 you try to, as best you can to uh, make the right, right choice as far as things like employment and so on. Yeah, I mean, this is relative. These are these are relative, so you're not going to get an answer on page 108 in the Bhagavad Gita who to marry, you know. Um, but in a broader sense, um, whether it would be favorable for your bhakti to marry or not, you know, that could be determined. And basically, if your mind is too much on it and you and it's too, too distracting for you to practice, 
then you might as well get that figured out, you know. Usually in an Indian society in years gone by, then they would figure that out real early because they knew it's going to be a huge issue. Figure it out early, bring other practical um, considerations into bear, into determination, and it's over. You don't have to worry about that anymore. And then, you know, you make the best of it, which is what you've got to do anyway when it's all said and done. Hmm? And there's some wisdom to that kind of a system. Otherwise, people look in and then they... And then they get into a relationship that doesn't work, and they look for another one and another one, and and um, um, they're relying, you know, really just upon their their feelings for the most part, infatuation and whatnot, and um, and um, and they're chasing, you know, a dream, so to speak. That uh, anyway, so it's. Uh, yeah, it's just a lot of work, marriage, relationship, whole whole lot of work. But it can be purifying also. It can be good for us. We can grow from that. Um, so, yeah, but you got to determine who. But, again, there are other things to bring to bear than just your feelings. What kind of job you want to get? Well, you know, you know, the, that depends on what kind of sense of income you feel you're going to need so that you're not troubled by the fact that you don't have this or that and they're different people different people will think differently hmm? some people have to have a certain level of standard of living and feel comfortable okay then stop it right there that's good and then you're generous beyond that other people have a different standard and that's fine too because there are different psychologies and so forth and what they what kind of economic security one person will need may be different from another, but everybody needs some sense of economic security, right? So you got to be honest in that, and then, of course, we have such a different worldview that it's easy to say, well, enough is enough. I got what I need here, and you know, okay, I'm comfortable, I'm secure, and then I have my what do they call that? Um, you know. Discretionary income, and you can use that for Vaishnavism, for opening temples, printing books, uh, serving the deity, buying um, cloth to make ornaments, uh, dresses, and, and so forth. To use your fun money for that, hmm? um, that becomes your, you know, the, what you're living for, so to speak, beyond your basic needs. Hmm? It's a way to look at it, and so then you're going to choose a job. You know, uh, uh, accordingly or uh, relative to your education, what you, what your capacity is, and then you know, as far as possible, you want something that's in, it's at least innocuous, if not favorable for bhakti, even you know, something like that. You could you could become a dairyman woman, you know, take care of cows would be a nice job, you know, that would really tie into your your bhakti. Or, you know, you could become a shoe salesman. You never need shoes. It's not bhakti, but it's not, you know. Of course, you might want on the show sell yet leather ones or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, you, you, of course, that's all that stuff is, you know, the, you can't get too Jane about all that. <laughs> you come from a Jane family, right? Yeah. yeah so you, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. So we, we, we have the power of bhakti in there that can... Resolve the the karmic, you know, problems that, uh, so to speak, <laughs> um, more readily. So, but 
you know, you, you don't want a job that's going to be um, um, in the pornographic industry or something that probably would not be, you know, something that <laughs> would be favorable for Bhakti. Uh, just to give a crude example. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't get too neurotic about it. Hmm? That I got, you know, like, how do I make the right choice? Then you're you're just relax a little bit, you know. There's any number of jobs that you could do, and there's some overriding kind of principles that you can bring to bear and consider in making your your decision. And then see if it works for you. Again, if we go back to the proverbial Vedic society, that was pretty much worked out pretty early on too. <laughs> okay, this is going to be your livelihood. And it pretty much corresponds with your psychology, which pretty much corresponds with your parents' psychology and their parents' psychology. And, and this, this is your partner, so you've got your economy and, and, and your way of life, your livelihood, and your relationship. It's resolved and you're only eight years old or 10 or 12 or whatever, <laughs> whatever it was, you know. Then there's a lot of time left for now, what are you going to do with all that? You know, that modern society we're still working on, you know, at 50 sometimes, you know. So all that energy can be put into spiritual life, into horizontal growth, into, into uh, the horizontal, vertical, into the vertical growth, so to speak. But we don't live in that society, none, and then we can't reinvent it. We live in a different world, very different world. Um, you know, just like you take example, like Karnamrita and Archer City, they do mar- marriage counseling, you know. So they have to be very dynamic in their ma- marriage counseling, and they can't just pull something out of the Veda. The Vedas say this. Because along with the Vedas said this, was this was also in place, that was in place, that was in place. All these Vedic whole cultural things were in place. And without nine out of ten of those, you can't just say, the Vedas say this. And it made sense because of this, this, and this, and this were there. When they're not there, then you have to be dynamic and gravitate towards essential um, ideas, concepts, um, and you know you want the relationship to work and whatever. Are you guys the magic that you do and and so forth? Um, um, but um, we, yeah, we don't live in a Vedic society. We can't artificially uh, pretend that that we do. And call it, you know, Varnashram or something, which is which is a lot of people do, and it's it's not what it is at all. Um, we should be sincere about our our bhakti, and and given uh, the nature of the society we live in, you know, we make important decisions with good good counsel and with sincerity. And you know, you're sincere. That's why you ask a question. So, like I said, you really can't go wrong. Uh, you're on the right right track. You'll You'll be successful, and being successful may involve making a wrong decision too. Krishna may, you know, teach you in, a, in, in that, that way. It's also possible. Um, well, you, you know, mistakes are only as bad as you don't learn from them. If you learn from them, then they're not bad, hmm? right? And questions are only as bad as we don't ask them. Hmm. So ask your dumb question, and we, the dumb thing is not to ask it. That's the, that's the dumb thing. 
Smart thing is to ask it. Yes, you have a dumb question. <laughs> okay. So um, I hear you talk. Um, I'm curious about this this word and this idea of being the the shelter of something. Um, I've been listening to some of your lectures on Dr. Rasamrita Sindhu, and um, you talk about Krishna as being the Vishai Alambana, mm-hmm. object of love, and Radharani as the Ashrai Alambana, and also Sadakas and Siddhas, I guess eventually we're, our part of our goal is to become a an Ashrai Alambana, a shelter of love, or mm-hmm. an embodiment of that love. Yeah. And uh, Rupa Goswami also talks, I was reading something this morning, he talks about all the good qualities which aren't necessarily bhakti, but we become a shelter of those good qualities. So what does it mean for us to be a shelter? What does it mean for Radharani or some other well, yeah, well, a shelter of love, a shelter of, of those good things? Yeah, well, there may be a better word than, uh, than, than shelter in our English language to um, explain that. Um, but ashray, I guess, is the uh, is the Sanskrit word that is translated, perhaps more literally, as shelter um, into English. Ashray. Um, if we look at Krishna as the, for example, in the Bhagavatam, there are ten subjects that are discussed. One of them is the ashray. The others are ashrita. One is the shelter giving. The others are sheltered. So in that context, it means using the word shelter. It's easier to understand. Krishna, within Krishna, other tattvas are sheltered. Or, or like if you look at Krishna as the big umbrella, so he's the shelter giving, and within that there are other shelters that are relatively so in comparison to him. So he's the supreme shelter. But now, when we talk about it, as you're asking about, as a devotee, uh, the, the paradigmatic figures in Nulila, in Madhurya Rasa, Lalita, Vishaka, Radha, and Sakirasa, Subal, Sridham, these are ashrais, ashraya lambana, they're shelters of love. There it means that, let, that they are the embodiments, and you use that word, and I use it often as well, they are the embodiments of that, so that love is sheltered in them, it's it's taken, uh, they infused their being, and it's taken uh, shelter within there, and they have become now the personifications of that love. So you have in rasa, you have the object of love, and you have the love. So love has to have an object to repose itself in. Do you follow? I'm going to love what? It's just not an abstract. You know, so okay, it's Krishna. As the perfect object of love, so he's the he's the vishai. Vishai means object of love, and then that love is sheltered in uh, in the person of a particular devotee, who's then to put it another way, the embodiment of that love. So our goal, for example, in bhakti, is not to become Krishna, but our goal is to become love of Krishna. Certain form of love of Krishna. You want to become Sakirasa. You want to become Madhurya Rasa, for example. Hmm? And that will take a shape. 
and that ideal is eternal because because Madhurya Rasa, Sakya Rasa, Vatsalya Rasa, that's Krishna. The Bhagavatam is about Krishna, right? Hmm? Yeah. No, really. It's about Krishna's elders, his equals, and his lovers. Hmm? That's what it's about. Hmm? But that's about him, because when we talk about parental love, elders, his equals, fraternal love, his uh, 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 lovers, uh, romantic love. You can't talk about it without an object of the love. So Krishna appears differently to those in Vatsalya Rasa. He appears as a Kumar, as a, as, as, as a, as a, as a child. He appears in a different way to those in Sakiras. He appears as in, in, in boyhood hmm? to early er, early adolescence, and in romantic love, he appear, appears as a as a blossomed a, adolescent. Hmm? It's the same Krishna, but their their love is causing them to see him through that that lens, and he's appearing as the object that corresponds. With that lens, hmm? and uh, so that's what the Bhagavatam is about. These kinds of love—that means it's about Krishna. But, but the love of Krishna and Krishna are the same. You can't have the object of love without love. You can't have the love without the object of love. This is what we mean by beta bed. That the shaktis of Bhagawan, this case we're talking about the sarup shakti, his internal energy, is one with Krishna and different from Krishna at the same time. So we we again, our concern is not to become Krishna, but to become love of Krishna, hmm? to become Sakiras, to become Madhuryaras, and that will take a shape hmm? in the form of a persona, form, sarup, and so forth, in order to give it give it um, expression. Hmm? So art has to have a shape. A canvas, an easel, can be expressed, right? So out of sakya comes so many forms, so many personalities, if you will, for the service of Krishna in that mellow. So the idea is, is uh, I saw a book many years ago by Thich Nhat Hanh, is a, is a Vietnamese or Cambodian a Buddhist was popular in contemporary spirituality and it was called Being Peace and I thought we should do one Being Love (laughs) that's our idea Being Love so to become the Ashrai the shelter a vessel which is another way as it's talked about sometimes a vessel into which that love will pour and be filled with and then it will pour out into Krishna and it would be bottomless. As you pour it out into Krishna, it pours back in and and so forth. So that's the meaning there. So as much as a vessel is is a shelter of the liquid that it's within it, it's, it's giving it shelter and shape. That's what we mean by the word shelter.
the shelter of love, the embodiment of love, the personification of that love. So that's our ideal, to become love. Hmm. And, and then all the implications of, of, of that, as I'm saying. Nice idea. Very nice idea. Hmm. And that, rather than becoming Krishna, is way bigger than being Krishna. Because Krishna becomes, he is the infinite. And he becomes, that means he's bigger than the biggest and he's smaller than the smallest as well. Right? One one of my gavards once said to Prabhupada, Prabhupada, I'm so, what did he say? I'm so insignificant. I'm so lowest of the... I'm the uh, most fallen. Prabhupada said, you're not the most anything. <laughs> Krishna's the most of everything. Hmm? So, <laughs> he's the smallest of the small, he's the biggest of the big. But, by the, my point is, by the power of bhakti, he becomes what the scriptures call Nyaya Shastra, which is employed in the Bhagavatam also, um, it, called medium size. He becomes medium size. Hmm? I mean... <laughs> to put it in Prabhupada's words, he accepts a size that you can handle. <laughs> Something like that. And lovable. Right? Kind of hard to love the infinite. Uh, or the infinitesimal. Hmm. But in the medium size, it becomes lovable. And what causes that is the power of bhakti. Hmm. So bhakti is taking the infinite, the infinitesimal, and making a medium size. <laughs> so bhakti is more powerful than Krishna. Of course, that's his sarup shakti. It's not different from him. You know, how about how you want to talk about? It. You want to talk about it from the bade perspective or the abade perspective? Hmm? Both ways to look at it. Both are true, right? Hmm? We can sometimes emphasize the difference. Say bhakti is more powerful than Krishna. Yeah. But there's no meaning to Krishna without without bhakti. So they're 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 one. Object of love and love. And the beautiful thing, of course, about love of Krishna is that it shares itself. And that is our good fortune. That it's by its nature it seeks to, to share itself. It overflows. So when Krishna comes to pursue that ideal of Radha's love, the side effect is it's overflowing, touching us. And the jivas get an opportunity that is ordinarily not uh, the um, opportunity they're afforded in this world. The typical opportunity is that through the Yuga Avatar, there's opportunity to attain Vaikuntha. Now this is just, this is a, we're going to a place that's not even known in Vaikuntha. Hmm? Golok, Braj, hmm? and it looks very ordinary, very Krishna's very medium size there, <laughs> if you will. Hmm? Narayan doesn't have a mother. Yeah. Narayan doesn't have a, a buddy. Hmm? Krishna does. And these are the opportunities that are extended to us to be Krishna's buddy and be Krishna's lover forever through Mahaprabhu and 
Nityananda Prabhu's, Nityananda Prabhu's dispensation. Hmm. So it's very uh, extraordinary opportunity. Hmm. And of course, if that bhakti, as I'm saying, has the power to overwhelm the absolute and make him medium size, really, really, the form of Krishna is a construct of his sarup shakti. That's hmm. a so that power of bhakti has that power, then what to speak of how competent it would be to dispel maya? That's a small thing. We think it's very difficult to dispel maya. It is for us. But for bhakti it's not. It's very easy. So what do you have to do? You have to invite bhakti into your life. You have to make the effort to get grace. And then grace will do the rest, right? What else? There seems to be such a gap. Like when you're speaking, yeah, when you're not in, when you're not right in front of us. Well, you stay with me then. <laughs> you don't have to go. You can follow me. What's the time? Uh, 7.30. All right, we'll stop there. Shri Shri Gauranamadavaki Jai. Gaurabhakta Vrindaki Jai.